Welcome to Exhale Bible Discovery. Each week, we'll take a deep dive into the Bible, going line by line and chapter by chapter to discover the truths that God has for us in His Word. everyone. It's Dr. Paula McDonald with Exhale Bible Discovery. I'm so glad you're here and we are continuing in our study in the book of John. And tonight we've arrived at chapter 19 and you guys buckle up. It's a tough chapter. I ask you to turn this off for just a moment, put it on pause, and let's get prayed up before we dive into this topic. It is a tough one. Last week, we looked at the in-depth and illegal arrest of Jesus. And this chapter, we're going to study the horrific murder of our beloved Christ. And to just give you an overview here, as we've studied now almost this entire book of John, we have looked deeply into the remarkable life of Jesus to discuss today, the most historical event in all of history. And that's the death of Jesus on the cross. And it's a tough lesson as we look at the physiology and the psychology of what Jesus went through. And as upsetting as these truths are, it really is important that every Christian understands what happened and not just the glossed over versions that we are often taught. Understanding the truth is essential in recognizing how Jesus suffered for each of us. And as believers, we must know the truth, even when it's upsetting. So I have this chapter in two divisions, Jesus Convicted, which is verses 1 through 16, and then the second part, Jesus Crucified, verses 17 through 45. I hope you have your notebooks out and your Bibles out. You might want to take some notes and you might want to pause here and there. Here we go. First off, we have Pilate's Trial Part 2. I left you last week after Pilate's Trial Part 1. And this is where Pilate allows the abuse and torture of Jesus. And we pick up where we left off as Jesus was being illegally tried. And we went through that step by step. And chapter 19 begins with the second phase of this trial by Pilate. And the Jews continue to pressure Pilate to take care of their problem of Jesus. And the chapter opens with Jesus being taken to be flogged. And here is the reality of what a flogging entailed. Well, flogging or scourging, as it was called, was a preliminary part of the legal execution system of the Romans. The criminal was stripped and his hands were tied to a wooden post. A whip that was composed of strands of leather wrapped around sharp pieces of lead and bones were used. The whips caused massive tissue damage to the back, the buttocks, and the back of the legs. The purpose was to inflict intense pain as a form of torture. As the whip struck the skin, it would violently tear, 
causing massive damage, not only to the skin, but the muscles and tissues below. And as the skin would break open, the body's inflammatory defense system would kick in as blood vessels are ruptured, causing the oozing of fluids as the body is trying desperately to defend the areas of injury. As the whip would go back and forth across the skin, it would crisscross, literally shredding the skin. And the skin then hangs like strips as the person is flayed open. Many, many, many did not survive flogging. And as Jesus' backside is destroyed and mutilated, they added insult to injury by then taking a crown of thorns and pressing it onto his head. The crown was believed to come from a plant called Euphorbia mili, which is it consisted of dense little spines with thorns that could be up to one and a half inches long. And the plant had a sap that is moderately poisonous that causes irritation to the skin. Therefore, the placing of this thorny crown on Christ's head would have created even more misery and pain. Next, they place a robe onto his raw and extremely tender backside. You guys, this would have been excruciating, just that act. And then, along with the verbal insults, they slap Jesus in the face again. In the other Gospels, they say he was spit upon and struck with a staff. Next, Pilate parades Jesus in this condition in front of the Jews. He brings the bloodied and beaten Jesus out to the Jews, telling them once again that he has no basis for the charges against him. And he tells them, here is the man. They begin to yell over and over to crucify him. And you would think seeing Jesus in the condition that he was in, they would have felt some pity. But sadly, seeing Jesus's bloodied body didn't faze them as they continued to demand the ultimate punishment of crucifixion. And Pilate tells them again for them to do the deed that he has no basis to crucify Jesus. I believe Pilate was hoping the flogging and the humiliation would be enough for the Jews. They wanted more, though, and they were not going to stop the demanding the murder of Jesus. The Jewish leaders were cunning as they tell Pilate their law demands that he kills them because he claimed to be the Son of God. How twisted that they demanded Jesus' death, yet they themselves claimed they didn't have the authority to do so. The scripture says when they mentioned this, he, Pilate, was even more afraid. And so this implies that Pilate had some sort of conscience, not by desiring to kill Christ, because he asked Jesus where he came from, to which Jesus now remains silent. Pilate then brazenly tells Jesus he has the power over him, and Jesus tells Pilate he has no power over him other than what God has allowed. The next verse says Pilate tries to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders shouted that by letting Jesus go, he would be no friend of Caesar's. Anyone who claimed to be king would be in opposition to Caesar. 
So Pilate is obviously more concerned about offending Caesar than Jesus at this point. And now Pilate brings Jesus out and sits down telling the Jews that here was their king. And this was about noon on the day of preparation. So let's talk about this day of preparation. And so in order to fully understand the significance and meaning of Jesus's death, we've got to go back and look at Exodus 12. And here in Exodus 12, Moses instructed the people to prepare. One, take a lamb without defect, no bones to be broken, and take some of the blood and place it on the doorframe. This would ensure the angel of death passed over the home. Two, they were to eat the meat with bitter herbs and bread without yeast, called the unleavened bread. Three, yeast represented sin and needed to be removed from the home. So what a perfect representation of the future of what Jesus came to do for the Jews and thankfully for all of mankind, because one, Jesus was without defect. His blood was shed for us in order to keep the angel of eternal death from us believers. Two, the bitter herbs reflect the bitterness of the unfair trial and execution of Christ's death. And three, the unleavened bread, of course, points to Christ's death and the removal of sin for believers. So I also wanted to look at prophecies of Christ's death foretold. Exodus 12, there was the Passover preparation and meal. Leviticus 17.11 For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Numbers 21.19 Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then anyone who was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. So go back and review John three fourteen through 18. It's pretty amazing. Then Job 19.25, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end, he will stand on the earth. Psalm 22.1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. Sound familiar? Psalm 22.16, Dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. Psalm 22:18. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. Psalm 31:5. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. Psalm 69:21. They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. There are so many other prophetic scriptures regarding Christ in the Old Testament. It's really mind-blowing when you start looking. This alone would make a great Bible study. But now, it is easier to see why the Jewish leaders should have recognized who Jesus was based on the prophecies that were right there in the scriptures. God did not sneak up on them. He provided them with scripture over scripture over scripture for telling Christ's birth, life, death, and resurrection. And so the question begs then, how often are we missing what God has right before us? 
Well, let's move into the second part, Jesus being crucified, verses 17 through 45. And before we go further into the events of the crucifixion, let's take a look at the Gospels of side by side. And I actually have this on a chart, and I would ask you to go find a chart of the synoptic Gospels of Jesus' crucifixion and look at them side by side. It's a really good thing to have as a part of your study, and it really helps um, to see how the various writers described the events that took place in their own words and through their own experience. The four Gospels then provide us with a much bigger picture with more details and information. So we're going to look at, for this study, the physiology of a crucifixion. Prior to his arrest, Jesus would have been most likely in great physical shape. They were walking to and fro to the various ministries, and he was a carpenter. So he would have been in peak condition at the age of 33. And as we look into the realities of the actual crucifixion, this strong and vibrant man endured horrific torture. First, they made him carry the cross. And as we've already discussed, the flogging, the crown of thorns, the robe, and the physical stripes, Jesus, no doubt, was also exhausted, bleeding profusely, experiencing intense pain, swelling, fatigue, hunger, thirst, and oxygen deprivation to the muscles because of the blood loss. And now having to bear the burden of carrying a huge wooden cross, and the wood would have been tremendously heavy and would have been cutting into his shoulders and neck, and it would have caused him to be off balance, making him stumble and fall and having to use more strength to get back up again. Next, the actual crucifixion. And this type of death was considered to be the most horrific way to die in those days. The word excruciating is where the word crucified is derived from. It was excruciating. It was so awful that most could not even watch a crucifixion occurring. Imagine the cries and the anguish and the overall sight itself. And the cross would have been slammed to the ground and the person being executed forced to lay on top of it. Huge seven to nine inch iron nails would be driven into the wrists. Physically, the bones of the hand cannot hold the body on the cross. So nailing through the two bones of the wrist would allow the person to be able to hang. The knees would be drawn up at a 90-degree angle, with the feet being nailed one on top of the other. And as the cross was lifted up and placed into an already dug hole, it would have been extremely jarring as the heaviness of the cross with the body on it rams into the ground. And this alone, can you even imagine the pain and the stress on the body? And initially, When the cross is raised with the outstretched arms, the shoulders would have popped out of socket. Shoulder dislocation, if you've ever experienced it, is very painful. So imagine both shoulders coming out of socket at the same time and with such violence. The agony would be indescribable. 
and the purpose of the knees being bent at that angle would allow the person to push up on those feet with that nail through them, allowing the diaphragm to allow air into the lungs. By hanging on a cross, the diaphragm would have been pulled downward, and the only way for the person on that cross to take a breath is to push painfully upwards through the feet, and therefore each breath would render tremendous pain. The amount of effort Jesus had to use to speak his last words would have been very difficult. His battered, dislocated, swollen, weakened, and bleeding body had to be the point of causing anyone to become mad. Many who were crucified actually went mad prior to their deaths. Our loving Father, however, even with his final excruciating breaths, spoke of forgiving those who were doing this to him. Who else but God himself could endure this kind of torture, yet desire to forgive? Only a divine person with a spectacular mission could have done what Jesus did on the cross for you and for me. And as Jesus' body succumbs to physical death, this is due to a slow suffocation. And what occurs is the carbon dioxide in the blood builds up to dangerous levels, causing the heart rate to increase, which puts more oxygen into the system. However, the oxygen levels are becoming less and less, causing what's called hypoxia, which is a lack of oxygen. Our cells must have oxygen in order to make ATP, which is the energy source for the cells to function. Without it, the continued lack of oxygen in these cells begins to cause overall tissue damages, which cause the capillaries to fill with water. That's how you get a blister, and it becomes filled with a clear fluid. So Jesus' entire body would be experiencing this phenomenon throughout every single part of him. And specifically, as the capillaries burst and release this fluid, it would be filling up the area around the heart and the lungs. This is called pericardial and pleural effusion. And if you've ever experienced pericarditis or pleurisy, you know how extremely painful this condition can be. So along with all of this going on, the body is also experiencing severe dehydration. It would have been difficult to speak at all as the mouth tissues were very dry and the tongue was thick and dry. Most medical professionals believe that Jesus finally succumbed to a heart attack from the lack of the oxygen to the heart itself. And when he took his final breath, his heart stopped right then and there. As Jesus' death, the soldiers then pierce his side to confirm that he is dead. And this watery fluid surrounding the heart and lungs comes out. And the reason for that water is we just went over it is the description of this buildup of fluid. And remember, this all didn't happen in a short period of time. From the time Jesus was praying in the garden the night before, and then he was stressed to the point of sweating blood, which is the condition called 
hematotrodosis. Only Luke, the physician, discussed this event, so you can see that in his gospel. Many throughout the ages have tried to discredit this. However, we now know that this is a true medical condition. Due to extreme stress, the capillaries can rupture and through sweating excrete blood droplets. And this condition would have already weakened Jesus prior to the arrest. And when he went into the arrest, the trials, the scourging, the nailing to the cross, and then hanging on the cross in a state of physical weakness, he was mentally, physically, and emotionally exhausted. And many who study the process of crucifixion medically believe that very few men would have been able to endure what Jesus did. Most would have died well before the cross. Jesus, however, endured to the end as that was his duty and reason for coming to this earth. This is a crossroad for many who cannot wrap their minds around why God would allow this in order to bring salvation to his people. We will conclude this lesson with a few theological points regarding this question. The one we hear all the time, why did Jesus have to die on a cross? And the main answer is sin, which was introduced into our world in the Garden of Eden. Sin is in opposition to everything God is about. Sin separates man from God, and God cannot tolerate sin. Another reason is there had to be a payment for sin and justice. In our justice system today, when someone has committed a crime, a sin, a payment must be made to the innocent. This payment may be in the form of money, time of being incarcerated, or by punishment of death. There is no payment for sin if the deed is simply pushed aside and ignored. The sin and the results of that sin are still present. A payment must be made. So when someone wrongs us, we demand justice. We want someone to pay. And so God created the justice system and thereby also his system for salvation requires justice. And it only could come directly from him. Romans 5.8 tells us God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Then in the Old Testament, there were sin offerings. And throughout the old book, we learn of the ways in which men were to deal with sin. A good place to read regarding the history of this is in Leviticus chapters 4 through 9. Every detail is described regarding the temple rituals by the priests. Even the temple itself had specific rooms, with the final room having a six-inch curtain dividing the Holy of Holies as a sacred place for God himself. Only the priest was allowed to enter this room once a year. The other question I hear a lot is, why blood? Well, blood, we know, is the life fluid in humans and animals. Blood brings life through the oxygen providing to each of our cells. Blood is also the cleansing fluid because it helps to remove toxins from our body. Carbon dioxide is a poison 
that is expired with every breath we take. Blood, therefore, represents life. Jesus had to pour out his blood, his life, for us in order to provide the ultimate life-giving solution, the blood, for our sins. This is why freedom is never free. It costs something. Otherwise, it means nothing. No sacrifice, no freedom. As sinners, the only way we can have our sins removed was because God knew He needed to provide us with the ultimate sacrifice, Himself in the form of of a human, as Jesus Christ. When Jesus sacrificed His blood, He opened the door to a direct access to God Himself. No longer must we need to go through a priest or through a sacrificial procedure, because now we can go directly to him. Matthew 28:51 describes the temple curtain being torn from top to bottom after Christ breathes his last breath. This is significantly important, as this clearly demonstrated that now those who believe in Jesus can come directly to God. The temple curtain, being six inches of thick, velvet-like fabric, could not have been torn from top to bottom by any human. This could have only occurred by Almighty God Himself. And symbolically, He's removing the veil between Himself and His believers. And this could only happen from the ultimate blood sacrifice by Him. Do you see now that in order to be in the presence of Almighty God, someone had to pay the price of blood? The other reason is forgiveness. God has provided humans over and over with the ability to seek forgiveness of sin. The Old Testament rituals required blood sacrifice by animals. And because of the animal's blood was never a permanent removal, they had to continue to sacrifice over and over throughout their lives. And y'all, every person on this earth is sinful. The only permanent forgiveness of sin had to come from a perfect and sinless person. And this person had to come from God himself. And we know that's Jesus. And his blood is the only perfect blood that has the ability to remove our sin before God. His lifeblood is our lifeline to God and eternal life. Jesus paid the ultimate price for each of us. Our forgiveness of sin was bought at a cost. It was not free. And as believers, we must understand the importance of this fact. When we truly grasp the meaning of what Christ did for us, how can we ever disregard Him, His teachings, and what He requires of each of us? And then there's love. What all this boils down to is love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whomsoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3.16 This kind of love is the only reason God had to provide Jesus as our sin payment. This kind of love is not earthly. It can only come from God. 
Our human minds are finite, and this means we cannot know and never will know the full mind of God. We cannot understand all things. Therefore, if you struggle with the concept of Jesus' death on the cross, you are not alone. You are human. This is where faith steps in. And one must accept that because we are not God, we will never have all of the answers. Faith, therefore, is required. And faith is not easy. The way to God is not easy. Romans 5.8 God demonstrates His love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. And then in Hebrews 11.1 Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And please refer back to I have a whole lot of information on faith, and I will um, upload those onto my website so you can read them. Then there was the burial of Christ. And the scripture tells us that Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for Jesus's body. This Joseph was the part of the Sanhedrin, who was a secret follower of Christ. Mark 15, 43 says, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And in our John passage this week, we know he was a disciple of the Jesus because he feared the Jews. Nicodemus also accompanied Joseph on this mission to care for Jesus' body. And remember Nicodemus, who came to Jesus at night and was also part of the Sanhedrin. It is Nicholas to whom the famous verse, John 3.16, is recited. How perfect that now Nicodemus enters the scene in order to publicly and in daylight put everything on the line to help bury Jesus. Both of these men risk everything in order to boldly go and take Jesus' body down and prepare him for burial and then take him to the tomb. Nicodemus brings 75 pounds of spices and oils to prepare Jesus's body. This would have been a tremendous amount that would have been very expensive today. Today, 70 pound, 75 pounds of these oils would cost tens of thousands of dollars. 15 milliliters of pure frankincense today is around a, a $100, and that's just a tiny little bottle. Based on this, 75 pounds of aloes would be $45,000 today. So this was a costly and sacrificial gift. And these aloes were also known as resins. And a resin is a sticky sap that comes from a tree that is when it's cut or injured. And it acts like a bandage to cover the tree's wound and protect the tree from insects, parasites, and other pathogens. Now that's pretty cool. And these products were being placed on Christ's wounds and torn body to cover them. The two men wrap Jesus in strips of linen, and after the balms and aloes are applied to the body, and according to scripture, if you look in Matthew 27:59, Mark 15:46, and Luke 23:53, a single piece of fabric known as a shroud was used. How fitting that all of this took place on the Jewish day of preparation. 
Every detail has meaning and significance. They placed Jesus' body in the tomb, which had not previously been used. A tomb was a cave or a carved out place in the stone, and a stone slab would have been carved to place the body, and a large round stone was rolled out in front of the opening. Next study, we will look into the empty tomb and the resurrection of Christ as he appears to many. So tough lesson this week, but important to know, but we know what happens next. So stay tuned, stay read up and prayed up, my friends, stay armored up, suited and booted in Christ. Be sure to visit my website, drpaulamcdonald.com, click on podcast and then exhale Bible discovery for self-study guides and resources to support you with each episode. 